I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and everyone, back to the return of the show. I am Ben, and with me, as always, for at least the Legend of Vox Machina, I guess, is my co-host, Jose. Yeah, I don't really, I wasn't preparing to say it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, 204 and 206 to 206. We're, right, yeah, yeah we're, I don't know, do people really say like 204 and 206? So what it is actually is a lot of people will go through YouTube and when you're looking for certain episodes, you'll use the uh, season code, which is the fact that it's always the season number first, then the episode number. Okay. So you leave two digits for the episode number because the odds of a season ever going past 100 episodes is ridiculous. Hey, One Piece, how you doing? What? One Piece uh, doesn't really have seasons. I don't even know what to call One Piece All right, I'll anymore. say Black Clover. I believe that's a little bit. <laughs> I know it's over 100, but yeah. It is 
Yes, that, that is very true. Anyway, we are here uh, once again not to talk about One Piece. That would be a very different and very long podcast. We're here to talk about the new episodes of Vox Machina that keep dropping a day earlier than they're supposed to. Those who walk away, pass through fire and into the Rhyme Cliff. Um, as always, if you have not, please subscribe. I If you watch our content and you're not subscribed, what are you doing? Uh, but anyway, Jose, I have to ask, oh, what are your thoughts on these three episodes first impressions i really loved watching these three episodes honestly i felt like we got so much it, and like i don't grant it so a lot of times watching this i was wondering uh how um like how long basically it took like an episode wise for the the play the, the yeah. playing it and like with these being a quick breeze of just a, a little bit about an hour i can't imagine like how many uh sessions <laughs> how would you call it how many streams yeah, right? Uh, yeah, how many it took them? So each sessions, yeah, yeah, each sessions. stream is a four hour DD session, which for DD, four hours is a really average, it, yeah. yeah, it's it's an average time. It's actually a little bit long for live streams. A lot of live streams try to keep DD or tabletop like down to two like and a half two, to three. Yeah, yeah two and a half to imagine. three usually. Um which and there's a good reason for that, but these guys are coming from a much earlier time. Um some of this all happened within one episode. Uh so all of those who walk away um, is actually a reorder of how things happened within the last episode. So those who walk away, I think, plus uh, our previous episode, the third episode, mm -hmm. um, into into the crypt, that was all about two sessions. Okay. Um, meanwhile, Pass Through Fire is adapting like five that happened at different points. I definitely felt like that one, and even the next one was so much into the rhyme clipped probably took about another three to four sessions in order to fully materialize because there was a lot of travel involved there's a character that we didn't get to meet called the map maker who honestly would not have served the story at all he was just kind of funny um and there's we're we're off book now <laughs> like where last season we stayed pretty close to what actually happened in the campaign as far as order of events were concerned this is getting very very different and it is for the better because i mean like anytime you're playing a DD game it is an improvised game your dm doesn't have the benefit of knowing how the story is going to be by the end of it they can foreshadow the actions of them and other npcs they can't foreshadow your actions yeah where meanwhile they're writing this to kind of better fall into the actual story that was told through the game and it's it is better for it i will say my first impressions i was like holy fuck these are my <laughs> favorite episodes i think season two is uh, astronomically better than season one yeah um and like it's not even just on the storytelling line like one of the big critiques that everyone had for season one is like you guys curse too much and when you when there is swearing it doesn't necessarily feel earned or with the character and when it does feel like it's with the character it feels out of place yeah because it was most because i think we mostly agree that it was kind of just them like basically like reliving like the, their playthrough and just like almost them being themselves yeah which even though it's their characters and like uh it, it just felt a little bit too out of place for the setting yeah but this this time i don't feel that way at all like yeah. All the fucks are very well-timed. They land where they're supposed to. Pike and Grog's crass behavior together doesn't feel out of place because they're usually doing it amongst each other. And it's... 
even Scandlin's like jokes that he has are coming out way more well timed. They're much more appropriate to the scene. I'm not finding myself this season going like, that was a little not my favorite, but I still love everything else that's going on. I'm full blown like these are my favorite. Like this is my favorite thing that they've created, mm-hmm. which I I could not say that for last season. Um, and it burned me at the stake, I guess. Uh, I had problems with season one. But it, in my opinion, this is just good. Yeah. And honestly, like, I did enjoy season one. But, like, not to say, like, I um, compare, like, with this season. But, like, with these sets of episodes, it makes me, like, really wanting to see, like, so much more. Oh, I'm, like, and I'm so glad uh, that there's going to be more of this. There's no way that, based off of the pace that they're going at, we are definitely looking at at least another season or two of the Chroma Conclave. And then after that, we'll be jumping into the final arc. So if they do this correctly, which because they've already been given a season of another show, we're probably going to get, we're probably going to get a full four seasons of Legends of Vox Machina. Right. So that's the good news right there. That's definitely going to be we'll happening. We'll mention that season of another show in just a little bit. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll go in we'll go into my Although, nine. Let's be real, most of you guys Every- listening, watching, will probably know what we're talking about. Yeah, I, I think everyone knows a little bit about the Mighty Nine at this point. But for now, let's talk about those who walk away. Um, so first of all, as far as this episode's concerned, uh, I had a major gripe last season and worry which was how they were going to handle the magic system uh, for this bit. And we got a adaptation of the Revivify spell. Um, Now, there's a very interesting mechanic here that Matt Mercer has added to Revivify, which is, uh, if you don't do it in your home games, I would recommend doing it. But essentially, every sort of revivication or like if it's Revivify, if it's Raise Dead, if it's any of the, if it's any of those spells. Yeah. Yeah there's going to be a skill challenge associated with it. I think that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, and it's all about how can you um, how can you appeal to the dead spirit or whoever's being invoked in order to make sure that that person comes back to life. And what ended up happening is this actually is what sourced out the moment where um, he, where Vex, Liam, excuse me, Vax, Liam. Still going, still in a, in a... Just spur of the moment thing said, take me instead, you Raven bitch. And that's what started his entire relationship with the Raven Queen. Okay, so um, real quick about that, because yeah. um, I forgot how like the, the specific viewpoint was, but um, we see the line connected from uh, uh, Vax to Vex. Yes. And uh, was there a reason that the line was connected? Was it connected before that, or was it just like the Raven's... Um, I don't know how would you word it, like trying to pressure or something like that. I don't know how the best way I, to word it. So the best thing that I can relate it to is, um, you know what? Actually, you can tie this directly to Greek mythology with the fates and pulling the uh, soul lines. So his soul's connected to Vex. Um, this is not something that was hard adapted. This is now we're in full speculation mode. If I had to guess, it would be the same thought of cutting a string would invoke death. However, their strings were tied together because they're twins. Um, now, in that moment when she's about to take Vex's soul, she in- and instead hears that motion and decides that instead she is going to test Vax in order to see if he's worthy. 
she cuts that thread and take and ties it to herself. Um, okay, got it. So, and that's why in the next episode we see that thread once again. And also, I wasn't anticipating this, but the foreshadowing that they have done, even with the opening title sequence, as far as that's concerned, is kind of ridiculous. I got myself to not remember. It, oh, yeah. the opening title sequence, those gold threads are there. You're right. Oh my God, you're right. Yeah. Right by the end of the, the, yeah. the intro. Okay. It's not just there. They're flowing throughout many of the scenes throughout the opening title sequence. And the Raven has always been in the opening title sequence as well. So there's always been this little bit of foreshadowing to the Raven Queen. And it kind of just letting us know that that's going to happen. So like, if you are paying attention, there's a shitload of information in the opening title sequence. Yeah. That... I've noticed that mostly with like the, when they're all, when they're standing and the things panning around and the different backgrounds of places they'll be at. Yeah. I've realized that part already. Yeah. So it's the entire time they're showing us different places that they're going to be. Um, so the only thing that I will say I am a little concerned about is um, because of, it is a high level D and D campaign. Uh, anyone who's played D and D will know this characters die. Um, and Revivify gets used a lot. Now, my guess is that in order to deal with this, Pike is going to be the one that potentially picks up Revivify, or as in this show, they're calling it a, uh, a, a Revivification ritual. Yeah. Um, so they're going to be using this a little bit. But I don't know how they're going to keep it impactful because this scene, it felt like there was a chance that she wouldn't make it. Yeah. And this whole moment, because it's the first time a character died. Yeah, exactly. But this is not going to be the only time that that's going to be get that it's going to get used. There's no a question way. of if they're going to even adapt those deaths. So I would like, say at least, oh, I don't know how many deaths there are, but I would say at least maybe two. I think there's a small handful of very impactful ones. And then there's a couple that are I like how I say this and silly. Then, well, we'll get to that part in the last episode. But yeah, still. All right. Okay. Yeah, we'll we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh so a character might not be able to cast it on some things. Um I there's another couple key things here. First of all, they adapted the beholder which was very interestingly done. The beholder fight was really cool. They it, they did it completely differently from how it originally went down. Um was it still like the main like fight ish scenario of how they did it? So, because I know design wise, not a beholder, in my opinion, and design wise, no. So that's actually part of the entire conversation of them getting away from Wizards of the Coast um, <laughs> is the fact that they are making very adamant choices to not use precise D&D terms and to not use precise um, D&D designs. So that was supposed to be Beholder. And originally the Beholder is actually what took residence in that thing oh, and right. was you had to kill the Beholder. And then once they killed the Beholder, uh, when he went down in the previous episode to that little sack of treasure, that was the uh, Beholder's um, treasure trove. But instead they were looking up there and that and they set off the trap while he was down. He wasn't able to look for traps. And that's how uh, that's how Vex died. Um and this Zara, it has a little locket, which turns into Trinket's Pokeball. And that is what the Beholder was in. And it was complete betrayal by Zara, yeah. um, which also having Zara and Cash start out as antagonist. I think I said it last episode, but great move because <laughs> originally it just would have been like, hi, we're your friends now. And then let's go to a dungeon because that's how it was in the campaign. 
<laughs> so like that that is the best that they could do as far as that's concerned yeah, it's like looking for a group in an mmo yeah exactly yeah, hey, what's <laughs> up you want to join us go ahead it's like, hey we're trying to do a raid you guys want to you guys want in we'll share some of the loot IRL pugs yeah <laughs> but they they kept that in but honestly the really interesting thing here isn't the beholder or the pokeball for trinket um it is the mural and this is the whole thing with vax yeah like Everything that focuses on Vax is so insane. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the mural real quick. So we see two things. We see a group of um, larger beings on the mural that are towering over what appears to be a war. And then we also see a vision that takes us into essentially all of the gods, uh, how all the gods standing over a battlefield. Um, I will note something. I'm not quite sure of this, but the one that they started out with had three eyes on it, and its design didn't quite look like the Raven Queen. So, at first I thought it was, but honestly, I think that will, that might end up being, and they will likely change the name for this because this is a D&D specific god, I believe. But I think that that might end up being Ioun. Okay, I don't know. So Ayun is the god is the goddess of knowledge. Okay. Um, and it, there's a couple interesting facets with that goddess. Um, it, mainly in the her relationship to the Sphinx, because the idea is that the Sphinxes are always can are that they always contain knowledge. You go to a Sphinx when you need answers to something that no one else will have answers for. Um, so the fact that that is there is pretty important for some pieces later on because we are dealing with sphinxes their patron is going to come into play at some point to say the least um the other thing is the actual mural itself i'm not quite sure of this but i think that the um larger people that are being established might not be gods but instead might be champions that could make sense from how everything looked the i'm hesitant on this only because there is um only because there is one god in there that has a very matching design um it specifically i'm forgetting exactly who this would land on it seems like they might be making up their own pantheon a little bit but the um there's a god that has a sun for a head and then there is a god that was in sort of a seated position that also had three eyes and also could potentially be Ayun if we are going in that sort of route. Um, and they both had similarly matching pieces. However, a lot of the weapons and armor that they were holding looks like they could have ended up being vestiges that we are currently hunting or that show up in other campaigns. Okay. So there's a lightning bolt being held by someone that could presumably be the Stormlord, although the design doesn't really look too much like the Stormlord. But there's also a entity that doesn't that looks a lot more like Pervon's soul in one of the far aspects, which is someone that we do know to be a champion. And then speaking of Pervon's soul, we have entire we have uh the entire fight between Pervon and essentially Vax in order for him to unlock the armor. Um, it, was, it was a really weird thing, because the very first moment they showed, um, I'm just calling it visage, memory, whatever, yeah. when um, Vax was 
what was it touch the stone and then he got it or was it basically when it first showed up i was trying to wonder if it was like um a real-time thing or if it's like he's experiencing everything like in that moment and because when he comes back into it he sees um he still sees them walking off and later on when when uh he's back in it and he's uh going against pervon or the champion or whatever yeah um it, that's happening in real time yes so like that part was really conf- that was the only like main confusing thing for it like um what's like versus um just a very quick experience but it feels like a whole like you know like how dreams work right basically yeah, yeah. it's a, yeah it, when you're when you're dreaming time is dilated you can experience like eight or nine dreams in like essentially um i want to say an hour or something absurd like that like the amount of dreams that you will actually remember versus the amount of dreams that you actually have is supposed to be kind of ridiculous right um now, I may be misquoting some dream <laughs> science there. Sue me. But I am I I understand your, like, entire thing with time dilation there. Yeah. Because I, I think it's possible that when he saw that first thing, it could have been in real time because it was so quick. Uh, and there was nothing really happening that was so fast-paced for us to compare it to. But obviously, with the Beholder fight... He's out of the picture for a little bit, and it yeah. does cause some problems. Um, that being said, I do have a question for you. What do you think was the purpose of uh, his fight with Pervon? I think I'll go back to what um, you briefly mentioned um, when the ma- the Raven Queen was test uh, wanted to test Vax. Uh, yeah. So I don't know if there's still more to come because um, later on in these few episodes, we do see him getting more more visions. visions yeah so um this could just be like the first step of the test maybe and then um going uh not growing um unlocking basically like more abilities or just more powers yeah so it, it's curious because they have to do two things simultaneously um so I, I just found this out apparently um so the armor for the matron of ravens wasn't actually supposed to go to vex, vex. that happened purely because that happened purely because of his moment um being like hey take me instead of my sister and that was a story choice that was then made and then he um ended up multi-classing into a paladin Hmm. for the raven queen because that to kind of match the flavor so they i think that this is more of an attitude this is less of a vestige thing but they're combining the idea of the vestige and his actual multi-classing together for the storyline which makes sense because, like, you don't want to necessarily in a story be dragged down by the game mechanics of multi-classing. But at the same time, it, he because they're doing that now, they have to do something really unique with his relationship with the Raven Queen. Right. So for me, the way that I was reading that sort of fight with Pervon is because he's working essentially for the Grim Reaper, he needs to be... Um, he needed to be okay with death. He needed to be with okay with the idea of him dying. So the entire time that he's fighting against it, his like his bones are breaking, and like you you what you see his fingers are completely broken, his ankles shattered, and it's only when he lets Pervon cut him down that the vestige activates. Which, by the way, how much of a power spike did you think that that was going to be? <laughs> I would say very big. Okay, so <laughs> I you, you, were, you were prepared for that. I love it, yeah. Okay, um, they, they also did another very interesting thing with the adaptation here. 
that was not necessarily the vestige that they were at they were adapting the vestige has some really cool things that was his boots of speed oh my, that thing? that's okay. what they were that's what actually ended up happening so the entire running gag uh with his character as far as matthew mercer was concerned was that he gave him an item that made him horribly fast and was like, I should have never given you this. <laughs> um, and like at multiple times through the campaign, tried to try to get it taken away from him, but he always held on to those boots of speed. <laughs> uh, so the entire way that that came down was just like, Oh, we just get to experience super fast Vax now. That's what this is. Um, and the vestiges original awakening didn't happen till much later. And they'll still, it's kind of nice how they're just wrapping all the magic items up into one for this. Yeah, I think um, it works better than two. Yeah, I, narratively speaking, it doesn't make a ton of sense to bog us down with magic items that we have to learn the rules to, all these things. Just let it happen progressively. And the vestiges are a great way to explore that. Um, I guess with that, though, we should probably move away from <laughs> our favorite goth boy and to his girlfriend, uh, Keyleth. Because she got her own episode this week. Oh my week. god, dude. I fucking love Keyleth. This oh my... episode. Like, I already loved her, like, and throughout, like, my favorite character so far in the entire campaign. But, like, this episode was so good. I'm, like, the entire showing her mom going on her Aramente, the relationship earlier, because we haven't actually had any um, dissecting of Keyleth's backstory yet in this. We've only had some essentially telling but not showing moments between her and percy and it just kind of establishing their friendship there early on but like actually seeing the entire situation with her mother going off her mother sort of showing her that they are um i forget the exact thing i forget but, too, but I, I know what you're talking about the idea is that they have a special um they're supposed to be the leaders of the at least the arishari if not the entire Ishari. i do forget that um, but as part of this, they have to go on an Aramente where shocking, like Avatar, they have to master all four elements. Um, and this That's literally all I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. The entire time that they were, she was showing it. I'm just like, they're just taking the entire Avatar world and dumping it into an entire family line. Um, but also potentially just the druids themselves, which it, the way that this episode culminated, first of all, seeing her turn into a fire elemental badass getting plane shipped very important also badass i think technically speaking she might be the strongest in vox machina I believe that just on like a spell casting technicality because yeah. what she can do is very reality bending I mean, yeah i think it like you're, you're she's teleporting through trees now now transferring through planes yeah also i really love the design of the fire plane it ah. Oh. I was I wasn't expecting us to actually go in because they originally didn't go in. Okay. So I like honestly, it was a really good move to just capitalize on it and be like, "Yeah, you get to see what the what the plane of fire looks like now. Yeah, this is what it is. It's sick." And the uh, adaptation of the uh, druid, like she got to pick a special wild shape for Circle of the Moon, and then that special wild shape was a fire elemental mm. adapting that into this moment also kicked ass there was also an additional thing here um originally the way that this was done they adapted like a couple pieces going on because originally her aramente happened way earlier in the campaign oh. for the fire for the uh for the fire trial 
So originally they had gone to this location, done the fire trial, and then um, just kind of left because the quest line was done. It was you're ticking boxes off on yeah. an RPG. Um, so wrapping it all together like this, it worked better. Also, in addition, the only other Aramente that was done before all this was the Earth. Okay. Which means when she completes her Aramente, we are actually getting a storyline that has not been seen on... Whenever she completes that Earth Aramente, we're potentially getting a storyline that has not been seen even in the stream. So... But it's also assuming the show shows that. The, I think they will. Because the culmination of her aramente is actually really important to finalizing keyless character okay so the way that the campaign wraps up actually everyone has their storylines finished there's only like one one shot that they do after the fact that gets to tightly add some closure to a couple small story threads but honestly the way that this show is going there's potential that that will actually be the final episode if they do it right, I really want I really want to see that done. I would um, be surprised if they also like did it as like a like a one off like special episode, like not like tied to like the season or anything, yeah. like that, but just like a bonus episode. I, yeah, honestly, Dallin's Closet could be perfect in that sort of setting. Um, and the, the, all the mighty, uh, see, I nearly said mighty nine. <laughs> all the Vox Machina one shots are really phenomenal on their own. They could easily be like, oh, we're making a small movie for this or like a, a small, like special episode. Yeah. And I'd be happy with it either way. Um, also real quick. I think it's actually pretty cool that, um, uh, what's it called? Like in the, the pre in the sunken tune episode, she and, uh, Zara specifically talk about like the element thing and how she says that she has a massive fire. And yeah. now here we go. We got the master, the fire master. Part. So it was actually that she hadn't mastered water in that one. Was it water? It was water. She was using air to keep the water o to keep the water open. Okay, because I know so, Zara did do the fire though. Zara did fire. Uh, Zara also did. Uh, Zara also helped with splitting the water with some of her like warlocky eldritch ma magic. Right. Um, water is. A very, when they finish water, it's at a late moment of the campaign. It's extremely memorable. Um, and it does have its own story repercussions to it. So like, uh, and like historic repercussions that spread across multiple campaigns repercussions. So there's water will have to be its own thing. And we're not going to get that for quite some time, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but it's kind of nice that we'll have this new subplot in here that is now being fully addressed. Right. So I will say the only other thing that I was really, really happy that they adapted in this small thing, super small thing I cared for. It, and if you watched, you cared for it. The outhouse scene was adapted. Oh, right. Yeah. So in uh, at least both, at least campaigns one and two, there have been live poops in campaign. Of someone role-playing, taking a dump while also doing something pertinent to the story. Because oh it's D&D, &D and that's how they do. Uh, so this is the this is one where he was actively trying to figure out what Craven's Edge deal was. And Craven Edge was setting the ultimatum of, you need to give me more blood. It happened while he was taking a poop. And originally, it was in Vasselheim. And they, he was just like, oh, I'm going to go take a dump real quick. Uh, Scanlan, do you? And Scanlan decided that he was going to go keep an eye on Grog and try and eavesdrop, but didn't get to successfully eavesdrop. Mm. Um, so that's how they just tied them in like that. The fact that they kept it as a poop, just the attention to detail. When they say The Last of Us is a good adaptation, I say nay. God damn it. 
I say Vox Machina kept Grog taking a dump. And for that, we should applaud them. Okay. My bit, my bit's done. Okay. Uh, that, that, All right. Wrong that, clap, that just, right? Yeah. Woo. That's, that, that's just my moment of appreciation for this, because I loved it. The, um, of course, though, with Grog into Rhymecleft. Uh, yeah, he's, um, that dump and ultimatum, I don't think ultimately worked out for him as the episode opened and closed. Because we get spooky dreams, which ultimately do happen with a stabbing of Pike. Like I say, spooky dreams, dude. It's just a nightmare. Just a nightmare. Just, I, you know, sometimes <laughs> I like to add an extra adjective All on right, there. Um, and a spooky's just a good one. But okay. yes, he does have a nightmare, if you want to get technically correct with it, of him slaughtering all of Vox Machina yeah. and really leading into the moment with Pike. Um, I don't remember this happening. But you don't? No. So... Don't want me neither. I re... <laughs> Are you about to say, no, I remember it happening? I wish Kevin? I did. I should have said that. Oh, well. <laughs> so, uh, correct... And, like, please, if you're in the comments and I'm wrong or missing something, I did... Uh, Tempt a little. I uh, unfortunately I spent a lot of time researching other facets of what had happened in these episodes because there's a lot specifically into into Rhymeclef that completely just takes us off book. Um, the Sphinx was different. Craven Edge is close to what's happening. It's a very similar vibe, although the way that Craven Edge ultimately culminates, there is some there is a different storyline that it goes down, and I think they'll still be keeping it because they have foreshadowed to. It. They have. Excuse, not just foreshadowed it, heavily foreshadowed it um, with how it's been interacting with Grog. Um, but it ending with Pike being stabbed, I legit do not know what's happened, what's going to happen with this. Like, there's a couple things there. Um, and really what it comes down to is, can Pike heal herself like that? Funny that literally just a couple of minutes ago, we said about how she's trying to learn how to revive. And yeah, first person close to die next. Pike. Yep, it's Pike's it's the next healer. on the chopping block. Um, yeah, and uh, if you've ever played D and D before, you know if the healer goes down. That's or any it. game with a healer class, really. Yeah, like you're it, the TPK's there once <laughs> that happens. Um, the yeah, Pike getting stabbed and Grog's reaction, I feel like is the saddest imagery I've ever seen. Also, this is like the most like edge of my seat frustrated I've been on a cliffhanger <laughs> in a very very long time. Oh, only a week left. Only, well, I know we only have a week. I know we only have a week. I literally finished, and the first thing I did was, like, scream. My partner and I started looking up campaign differences. <laughs> um, like, we were immediately just like, in, what's going to happen? Because the other thing that ended up happening is the, um, it, I'll just jump to a different point. Um, the Feywild. Right. So we're jumping all around this episode. <laughs> yeah, we are. Well, because unfortunately, a lot of the stuff that they're doing is really interconnected and non-linear because a D&D campaign is not necessarily linear storytelling. Mm -hmm. It's not in a Trust nice. Me, I'm, I'm aware. It's I'm not a aware. nice bow. How many times have you ever been in a game being run by someone? And you're like, well, you know, parts of this story are great, but other parts of it are just like we have really fucked up whatever the DM had planned. Dude, that's why I hate being DM. <laughs> You put so much effort into a nice story, and your players just go, "You know what?" No. I'm like thinking, like, okay, so if they do this, and uh, so so then I don't want to what about this part, and then they do something completely different or not. Yeah, and you're you're like literally constantly being caught off guard, which 
I feel like they do a very good job neatly packaging it. And this is something that I think was really necessary because what they're about to do is they're about to take the Chroma Conclave from needing to have been a full three seasons to probably only needing to be two. Um, so there's a couple things that are happening. First of all, um, just to start, we have a very important aspect here that's happening with Scanlan with the befriending of the befriending of the Sphinx. Yep. So, um, this fight did not happen anywhere near like this. It was literally really just really a, not. please beat up the Sphinx. And then if you beat up the Sphinx to satisfactory, he will tell you what you need to know. Um, that was it. Scanlan himself actually was some status type shit. Let me say. He, <laughs> He wasn't as much of a key player, although I would argue that Scanlan is the most clutch player in the entire campaign because the, of the plays that he makes with his spells. Because he had a, unlike uh, Marisha Ray, who had to learn all of her spells and didn't quite know how to use all of them because she suddenly had a massive spell list to mm -hmm. look at. Bards only have so many spells. Um, and it, he tailor picked them for a really really good build which is surprising because i think this was his first tabletop rpg oh um yeah and i think it's also his first character i may be wrong on that but he did a really good job picking spells and was consistently really clutch um, i'm really curious about uh not then he it's it's really weird seeing what that entire campaign seeing him not be a spell oh don't even get me started on a freaking uh fresh cut grass <laughs> fresh cut grass yep uh we're not even in terry and darrington yet um like there's so much when he's when he's a spellcaster he's a spellcaster and he does a very good job and sometimes a very funny job um but this was they're doing something very interesting with his character building here because not only does scanlan befriend the sphinx he figures out how to wound him without it being brute force by making him sad. Yeah. Um, an internal wound. If an you inter will. Yeah. It's, it's the most barred thing ever. Um, <laughs> and like, I remember hearing a while, like years ago that Scanlan was very much inspired by if Yaskier was a D and D character. I believe that. Um, which totally checks out because this is exactly how Yaskier would get out of a bad situation. Yeah. Um, which if you are not familiar with the Witcher games, you should be. And if you're only familiar with the Witcher show, I mean, I, at least a little bit, it, but like, it's still, it, it's still, I think it's actually appropriate characterization of Yaskir. I believe that. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm not excited for what's happening with that IP as far as Netflix. Well, thankfully, that's a whole nother thing. Yeah, we don't, you know what? So that's a bad adaptation. This is a good adaptation. That's what um, I'm going for, but okay. <laughs> That's, I mean, there's a lot going. If you want to get into the Witcher, there's a lot we can All talk right, about. All right, back Vox to this. Machina. Um, but, at the same time, very similarly, actually, to Yaskir, he's constantly being shit on by his companions and is not being taken seriously. Um, so this is actually really important characterization for Scanlan, though, because Scanlan, this is something that does lead to inter-party conflict. Really? Yes. Shit. There I would is, not think that. No, there was actually an entire thing, and there's there's a, there's a lot more layers to it. It has to do with things that have not been well established yet, and in the game had not been currently happening. But at a certain point, there's a lot of things that Scanlan felt really adamant about that the rest of the party did not. Mm. And there's friction that's really important to the story and how it unfolds that happens there. 
And the fact that they're giving it attention this early is going to set us up for it extremely well. Also, like real quick though, as when first when the the song started happening, I just like just kind of a light laugh because I like <laughs> voice the Sunny Scanner did. But at the same time, it just looked really the animation visually amazing. I yeah. So here's the thing with Sam Regal's music: sometimes it's a hit and sometimes it's a miss. Um, but with this, the visual gag plus the actual just quality of the animation was very striking. So they gave him his dues and they really let it be established that like he doesn't have to fight everything. He can do what every bard player's role play dream is, which is not to fuck the Sphinx. <laughs> but to instead use raw charisma in order to get out of a massively bad situation, which honestly, if you're a DM and you don't let your players do that, um, I would dare say that you're a bad DM because you are not allowing a character class to fulfill its actual power fantasy, which is to be able to talk its way out of things. Even And obviously, there's a ton of magic involved. Like, you could easily say, like, oh, he's casting, like, major illusion while he's singing this song to, like, convince some, in order to convince this uh, Sphinx to be emotionally hurt. Like, that that works and i feel like that is something that like i would love to start seeing dms allow their characters to do more instead of treating everything as punch the boss because i'm gonna be straight with everyone punch the boss gets boring after a while yeah <laughs> For I, real. I, I i i don't know like i can't it is so much more memorable when you have moments like this. And I know that this is on screen, but like there's moments like this that just straight up happen in D and D campaigns and like campaign two, there is what I'm just going to call the cupcake moment, which also plays into this. Something I saw that part. As far as I remember, I don't think it's, it's, it's in late campaign two. Okay, it's probably. one of uh, Laura Bailey's finest moments as a player. That explains why every jester cosplay I've seen mentions, does something with a cupcake. Yes, it is that important. Um, but you have to allow that, like, as a DM, if you want to create meaningful experiences, you have to allow for that kind of storytelling to happen at the table. Because I kind of wish we had something like this. But the fact is that D&D is a war game and not necessarily the best RPG. Yeah. Which... But I think that's also... Because of the fact that you can have, like, all this... Anything happen yeah. is also what makes it, like, a really good, like, yeah. uh, RPG aspect game. And that's entirely down to the DM. So Matthew Mercer is a rule of cools DM, but mm -hmm. the way that the rules in D&D are forged is you are essentially given a very powerful arsenal that is killing things. So odds are you are going to default to killing things. Hmm. Um, it's the, I, like, if you give someone to a gun to solve all the problems, but you also give them diplomacy, they're going to probably use the gun. Yeah, let's be real. This is also just a average party in dnd dnd thing yeah absolutely and like i just want to say the way that this is done is like perfect for the actual characterization it's a perfect change um the other change here is uh umbrasil okay umbrasil did not sack them ever and did not take myth carver i don't even know what this did thing, not kill that space i already don't know anything about the the campaign so like i now we're just like apparently we don't even know you know so like i'm saying i don't know what's happening now. yeah so we're now in full-blown speculation so mode. now me and Ben are both blind we're, about what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen. I'm not explaining things that happened in the campaign anymore. I'm just like, this didn't happen. Um, I will say, I did see someone post on the internet recently that uh, 
Umbrasil taking Mythcarver is just Matthew Mercer's way of punishing Sam for the fact that Sam had this vestige and he only used it like two or three times the entire <laughs> campaign. Um, which, <laughs> like, Sam Regal used that magic item maybe two or three times. And there was a point where there was a really important fight and he's like, the sword's humming, the sword's humming, you should use it. And Sam kept going, but I don't want to. And it's just funny because like, I feel like a lot of times people just forget they have magic items when they're playing. <laughs> yeah, and I think the big issue with Myth Carver is that um, from a gameplay standpoint, if you're giving a sword to a bard, especially at high levels, the bard does not want to be close to people where they can be stabbed in the first place. Fair enough, yeah. So they're going to avoid that. Um, now, if you gave Myth Carver to a, sword, to a swords bard, uh, they'd be overpowered. They'd be like, that's the dream person to give it to. <laughs> uh, but giving it to Scanlan, who was a lore bard, so his entire thing was, he was really good at the bardic thing, but he was mostly a mage. He would learn wizard spells. Mm -hmm. So like he mm -hmm. had, ma hand. yeah, his hand, whichever one. Uh, yeah, that's um, Bigby's hand. Mm -hmm. Uh, was one of his wizard spells. I think actually Bigby's hand you might be able to do just as raw bard. But he also had other spells that were really powerful down the line. I forget what the other ones are. Um, by the end of the game, he has a ninth level spell that is from his magical secrets. That is extraordinarily powerful. Um, and becomes a plot point. Mm. So there's frankly like Scanlan gets up there. But the way that they're adapting him right now again is just like kind of ridiculous and it's weird because seeing myth carver actually being used for the first time which is like i didn't know it could do that <laughs> <laughs> that's literally how it was like i was like oh that's what myth carver does in this universe that is great you know if anything there's a chance that uh even though um you said that umber not coming and take the sword is kind of off book this could sort of be on book if like the next stuff is like how i played in campaign where uh sam's character just did not use yeah myth uh, carver and until the, like the first one major time or something. No, I honestly it works because he doesn't need to start using I think one of his only times using Myth Carver is after Umbersilt because also they originally got Myth Carver much later. Okay. Um actually that may be wrong. <laughs> they he may have gotten Myth Carver and just never fucking used it. Mm -hmm. Um so but the point is that like Myth Carver just wasn't in use until later, so having Umbersilt take it also, having Umbrasil kill the Sphinx is completely, um, uh, this Sphinx is still alive in campaign or in game world. So in this canon now, he's dead uh, very clearly. And we get a brief look at essentially what the rest of the season is going to be, which is we are this season. I didn't think we were going to get to do it this season. We're going to the Feywild, obviously, in the next couple episodes um, where they the are next episode. They're already next there. episode. <laughs> There's a lot that happens in the Feywild. Mm. I want to say almost 10 sessions may have been in the Feywild. Fucking hell. And not only that, they kept going in and out of the Feywild for different story purposes. You know, now I'm curious about, like, I'm going to I'm gonna ask one of my friends about it, but, like, basically, like, how fast, like, compared to the actual thing, are they moving? Oh, it's... Now that we're, they're doing it this way, um, because the Feywild originally happened after this. So, originally, they just got this quest, and they went straight to Westrun. And it would have been essentially the West Run arc the entire rest of the season. 
But because we're in the Feywild now, and now that there's a weird thing where they got split off from each other because uh, Umbrasil attacked in the middle of the uh, spell, mm -hmm. we're now in a completely different territory. Okay. We don't know what stories are going to be adapted and how. There's a storyline that involves a city that was alluded to earlier. Actually, I can say this because it happened canonically. Um, he's the... Um, it is the city of Syngorn, which Vax and Vax's parents, well, specifically their dad, is the ambassador to. Okay. So we will get to meet their father in person as adults. Um, there is also it. There's also the um. Da, 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 da. There's also a different storyline involving the actual fetching of the bow which is completely different. They were never separated like this. Honestly, there's like five or six Feywild storylines now that I think <laughs> about it that happened at different points. So I don't know if we're going to be in the Feywild the entire time. I don't know if we're even getting the Vestige this season, but I feel like the way that they plotted it out as far as us seeing the Vestige there means that we're probably going to get it. I think it. We, we'll get at least one of them. Yeah, I, th I think that the way that this is going to go is they're going to get the bow. They're going to go to rest west run simultaneously get the gauntlets and then plan to and then do the actual umbrasil thing um and that's going to be like the climax of the season if i had to guess so the real question here is how much of it how much time are we going to spend in west run what are we adapting in west run if we're giving it the right amount of time which honestly they need the full they need a full three to four episodes in west run in order for it to work so probably the three episodes then since that's how yeah. the release has been going I think the next three episodes may be Feywild, and then the three episodes after that will be um, West Run. Uh, will West be West Run and Umbrasil. Because okay. they need the vestiges in order to fight him. And then after that, they get Myth Carver back, and they can find the rest of the vestiges. Right. Also, I just realized that I, we forgot to talk about this, but um, there's someone that's like, um, not, I don't know the word for it, but basically, like, it goes up front to the dragon with the orb. Yes. We know, <laughs> we know them. Right. I forgot who that is. Though. Oh. Is that, <laughs> that one Anna? That is Anna Ripley. That is Anna Ripley. That's that is, Anna, sure. that is Anna motherfucking I'm, Ripley. I have eight things going on in my brain, okay? Yeah, all good. There's a lot to track. Yes, Anna Ripley is the person that sold them out. Uh, She somehow got a scrying orb, which oh, okay. I don't... The scrying orb does come up in the campaign. They do use it as a means of scrying, so I'd imagine when they meet her, that's how that magic item will be introduced later. But... Anna Ripley's role in the story is going to continue progressing. We're not really going to have a final confrontation with her or progressing that too much until season three. So as far as earliest. I know, it's completely background. It is. Yeah, it's completely background storyline. Uh, and Anna Ripley's allegiance in this is interesting because it seems that she's trying to bide her self favor with the dragons themselves. Now, as to if she knew about this attack prior or if she's just acting reactive and doing the same thing with Briarwood, simply finding powerful people to ally herself with. I think so, that one. <laughs> yeah, it, like that remains a mystery. I don't think that she knew about the Chroma Conclave prior, um, but they could be treating the story differently for these purposes. Also, we don't know how she got the orb. We also know that very, very recently she was in Vasselheim. Right. She could have probably got them there, got it there. The question is, how is she fast traveling? Fair enough. 
because they needed Keyleth to go through a tree in order to get there. But how did she get from Vasselheim to to Westrun that quickly? Because what Westrun is on Tal'Dorei. It's on it's on a different continent. I, if I wanted to take a guess, I would assume that there's probably just another person she's working with. There has to be. And that's the interesting... Either that or she has more tricks than we even know. <laughs> yeah. So that's the part that really has me curious is I don't know what they're doing with her. Because she had a storyline that impl- previously that implied that she was traveling slowly in the campaign. But now we're not seeing that. If she can get around that quickly... She has to have a mage working with her. So the question is, who or what? Right. And we'll just kind of have to wait and see on that. Honestly, this is kind of refreshing. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck's going to happen. I'm so excited for next week. Yeah, me too. And, like, this is, this is like, peak television for me right now. This is, like, one of the best things coming out. We're also covering The Last of Us. Yes, The Last of Us is also peak television. We're we're just blessed with a very good winter season right now. Yeah, is what January's this is. All pretty decent. January is a good season of TV, and we're we're getting I we're getting Attack on Titan in fucking March, which is not a winter season. I don't know why they decided to call that a winter season, but we're getting in March, so we'll have something good after this. And after briefly mention, Mighty Nine is uh, getting a TV adaptation. Yes, it is. Uh, also by Prime, Amazon Prime. Yes, Amazon Prime, uh, Titmouse, Met- Metapigeon are all involved with that. Oh my god! And honestly, it's really crazy. They're setting things up here that will become really important in that show and shared universe. Uh, there is a solid chance that Critical Role might take that big Prime money and just start adapting all of their campaigns for television because clearly. It's working, and it is making Amazon a lot of money. So I think Amazon is going to want to keep that deal for as long as possible. We'll see if we end up with another Wizards of the Coast situation, because Amazon is indeed a big, bad, evil corporation. (laughs) So keep that in mind, people, for uh, if you have ethics concerns. Worst case scenario, Mighty Nine's the uh, only other one that'll be made. But yeah. Worst case scenario, we only... Worst case scenario is we only get one season of Mighty Nine. Honestly, worst, worst case scenario is that something gets canceled for some Actually, reason. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like if they were to break their... Um, if they were to break their uh, non-disparagement clause against Wizards of the Coast, the, this entire thing could get shut down uh, pretty fucking quickly. So everyone just keep that in mind. Anyway, we'll be back next week. I'm Ben. This is Jose. And this has been the return of the show. I know you were almost going to say too fast. Maybe I can tell you. I, it was <laughs> on the tip of my tongue. It's so... Because Abraham reads this copy normally. Ah! Bye, y'all. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.